With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Zoltan today. Enjoy your HN Podcast, John Miller along with Rob Howe. This is uh, a Wednesday night as we record this, the, the eighth day of November. And Rob, I've been total geek out fan all week long since Iowa absolutely smoked Ohio State. I've, this is embarrassing, I don't even, I've watched the game four times. <laughs> um, so we're like, how many days? Every single day I've watched it since it took place because I recorded the 60-minute uh, deal. And I've sat down a couple of times to do video highlights of it and, and tweet those out like I've done before this year. But I just can't because I get so caught up in what I'm seeing from Iowa's offense and then the defense, which I think got a little lost in all of this. It, it's it's the most thoroughly surprising game I think, for me, at least back to 1981, and I was only 10 years old in 1981, so I didn't have any idea of the historic context of Iowa's win against Nebraska that year, which was, you know, I'm sure people that are older than me in their 50s and 60s could say, yeah, that's pretty big back then because Iowa hadn't had a winning season in 19 years. So that was a huge win at the beginning of a transformation of the program that nobody knew was taking place. But for me... You know, the, the win at Michigan in 02 and the manner it happened was pretty amazing. It was Michigan's worst loss, I think, since 1967 at home at that point. But Ohio State's a totally different beast. Iowa has had some success against Michigan through the years, Hayden years, Kirk years. But really, Ohio State is that white whale, the elusive white whale that, you know, Captain Kirk has had trouble harpooning, as have most people. Uh, to me, it, it, that's probably near the top of the most improbable wins, given the way that it happened, I can recall. Yeah, we were talking about it, some of the guys that have been covering the team for a while. Um Saturday night after the game and just kind of trying to put some perspective on it and the 2002 Michigan game is the only thing that really comes close and that's just because they hadn't really arrived under Kirk that was the arrival um, and you talked about you know how long it had been since Michigan lost like that at home and um, I think that came the week after the uh, Gibran Hambrin Grant Steen three pick interception game at Indiana, and you know that was kind of an, an ugly looking win. Yeah, you know, it was Indiana, and people weren't sure what was going to happen at Michigan, and then they just dominated that game, and uh, that's the only thing that comes close for me. Just remembering being in that post game with Kirk and him, that was like the first time you really saw him tear up. Um, I guess Penn State in in two thousand, whatever that was, two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah, you got a little bit of it then too, but um, 
just I, I it's not that they it wasn't just a win it was like you said the, you know they just annihilated Ohio State and being in that post game with Urban Meyer and I posted the video afterward he was in shock I'm telling you John he did not know what hit him um, he didn't expect that um, his players they it was weird they <laughs> they they brought Meyer in and then um, what's the kid Billy the center um, his last name is escaping me now but um, and then one of the defensive linemen and that was it they gave, they let Meyer answer about five six questions and that they cut people off then they let the players ask a few questions and cut them off and that was it for their post game they were they were they wanted to get out of there um, and I, I think you have to factor in that they were not ready to play um, coming off that Penn State game, but that takes nothing away from what Iowa did and the game plan on both sides of the ball and just the complete and, and total domination of, of you know the marquee program in the conference. Yeah, in the you know Iowa scored fifty five points, forty seven offense, forty eight offensive points um, because you had the pick six and. You know, you, you had mentioned there was something I wanted to play. Oh, I know what I wanted to go. The 0-2 game at Michigan, Iowa was ranked 18th in the country, and Michigan was, uh, I think, a top-10 team at that point in time. Still, the way Iowa dismantled them that day was impressive, but Iowa gained 399 yards. I think they held Michigan to 22 rushing yards, so that was a dominant performance. This game, Iowa wasn't a ranked team. They were 5-3. and three. They were they were left for dead by a lot of people in their own fan base. Um thinking you know and i felt hey this is the six and six team i thought it was going to be and i guess they still could be that but the defense in this game that you know at halftime ohio state had 13 first downs and 251 yards that's that's a lot um of yards for sure but just seven 17 points which for this defense is is you know kind of close to their season average for a game in the second half ohio state gained 120 total yards they didn't record a first down in the third quarter, and the only touchdown they scored was because you know Rastetter went rogue on his on his punt and, and ran that ball. The defense, I think, has gotten a little bit of a short strip because the linebackers for Iowa played incredibly well. They got great depth on their drops. Iowa was doing zone blitzes. I saw uh, Parker Hesse dropping back into pass coverage numerous times in this game. It was just as, as great of a performance as it was offensively, which it was one of the more near flawless execution um displays that we've seen probably ever from an Iowa offense the defense played at an incredibly high level and we talked about it before and people get tired of hearing the execution and you know Billy Price was the was the he came up on my trends for some reason <laughs> um, he was a center from Ohio State um, and Urban Myers on my trends as well as is Josh ja- Josh Jackson and the CMA awards for some reason nice. um but it's complimentary football and that was the you know that's what worked even the defense struggled early um despite you know the pick six by Imani Hooker that next possession for Ohio State they sliced right through the defense and got a touchdown right away um but then the offense came back and answered and that was I don't know if they answered on the very next drive but they 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 rebounded after that and then Iowa covered kicks well punted well when they had to um 
got turnovers, um, didn't drop passes, there weren't penalties, um, you know, that really hurt them. All those little things that were kept building up and seemed to happen at the worst times in, you know, in the losses to Penn State, Michigan State, and Northwestern, it just wasn't happening. They, they put it together on Saturday in all of three phases. Um, and we heard them talk about it, as I said, you know, just a matter of executing, and boy, did they execute. Iowa had 12 offensive possessions. You don't count the pick six. Iowa had 12 offensive possessions, and they scored on eight of them. They were seven of seven scoring in their seven trips to the red zone. Seven trips to the red zone is good for an Iowa offense against, you know, armpit state, much less Ohio State. (laughs) Illinois. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they didn't do that against Illinois. I I, I couldn't tell you the last time that they had seven red zone trips. Ohio State with just one. Um, And, yeah, after uh, Iowa got the pick six, then Ohio State came back and scored. Then Iowa kicked a field goal. Then Ohio State kicked a field goal. Iowa scored a touchdown. Ohio State scored a touchdown. Iowa never trailed in this game. They never trailed in this freaking game. This is just going to be one that I'll, you know, maybe I'm watching it so many times subconsciously to sear it into my memory for the rest of my life because I probably won't ever see anything like that again. Um Akram, you know, Rob, to me, and I said this during the game, and, and I don't know if you agree or not, but I think Ohio State came in with a little bit of an arrogant game plan on defense. They played mostly base 4-3. They did not use the same type of game plan that we've seen Penn State use and Michigan State use and Iowa State use, Northwestern use, to where they were, you know, those teams blitz 35% or more uh, of the snaps during the game. They committed oftentimes eight, if not nine men in the box to stop Iowa's running attack. Ohio State did none of that. They very seldomly blitz uh, relative to what Iowa's seen this season. They hardly ever brought an eighth man down into the tackle box and wouldn't you know it, it's a lot easier to block five guys at the line of scrimmage than it is eight. And Iowa's offensive line with freshman bookend tackles played its best game of the season. Stanley was sacked just one time, and Iowa rushed for 243 yards and averaged 6.4 yards per carry. I think Ohio State came in thinking they were just going to bowl them over and didn't have to really do anything outside the box, and it bit them in the butt. Yeah, and I, I'm thinking they were probably um, – their, their plan was probably that they're, they're going to be able to score points and just, you know, make the Iowa's offense, you know, play honest and throw the football. Um, but it, I, there, was a, it, there were guys open for Iowa all day. That was the amazing thing to me. They didn't dedicate – guys to stopping the run yet they could not cover anybody in the you know underneath the tight ends or even the wide receivers were open all day um which was amazing to me it was just a convoluted game plan for them on that side of the ball to just and i don't know i guess in fairness to them iowa's offense really hadn't shown much to that point to to um weren't any you know being worried about it i could see them stacking the box or i don't know if there was a need to blitz stanley um but at least take away their their you know their top weapon which is wadley and they they couldn't do that he made a lot of the he made some of those guys look as foolish as he did peppers last year with some some of those 
those moves he made the other night. He's probably earned himself a little bit more money. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And Iowa's offensive line just came out. Just in, I mean, every time I've watched this game, I've tried to focus on a different area of the field when I'm watching it. So last night in my fourth viewing, I, I just watched Worfs and Jackson to the start of every single snap and then on defense I watched you know the, the Epinesa quite a bit and, and some other areas and and I just the, the growth that Worfs and probably Jackson are both going to have from now until next September is pretty exciting to think about. James Daniels played at an extremely high level in this game. You mentioned, you know, Wadley looked like Wadley again. And James Butler on 10 carries, he had 75 yards. Yeah, he had, you know, the long of 53, so his other nine carries went for 22 yards. But maybe, maybe I underestimated the impact of losing him to Kirk. Kirk obviously does not have any comfort with Torrin Young or Ivory Kelly Martin. Otherwise, they would have received more than probably four or five carries total each in all the games that Butler was out. Uh, Wadley just is not that type of a bell cow. But I, I think Kelly Martin and Torrin Young are going to be a great one-two punch next year unless somebody else gets in the mix as well. But... Uh, do you think James Butler's loss was a lot more significant than people like me maybe gave it credence for? No, I was right with you. I mean, I, I thought there would be a, um, you know, I thought there would be an impact, uh, but not as great a, of an impact as as I think it turned out to be, um, because I felt like, you know, that Kelly Martin and, and Torin Young would be able to to uh, to fill in for what Butler brings, but he's just. He doesn't. He's, uh, you know, a kid that's rushed for over 1,300 yards the last two years. Granted, it's not in, the, you know, against the same, same competition, but he's, he's college tested, and it do, it gives the defense no break when he comes in. Whereas when Wadley goes off, and you bring a freshman in, you're feeling a little bit better as a defense about, you know, being able to take away what they do, maybe, maybe put them in pass protection, do some different things to them. With Butler, you can't do that, and there's no rest. He comes in and he runs hard. I mean, the, the fumble he had uh, against Minnesota, I think it was, that, that created the, the Brian Ferentz explosion, that was him just running hard. He is so hard to take down, um, and he compliments Wadley really well. And I, I'm still, we talked about it last week, I still think there are some more things in that playbook with Butler and Wadley on the field at the same time that we're yet to see. Well, this coming week would be a good time to see it, and we'll get there in a minute, but I just don't want to let go of this past week. I can only imagine how hard it would be for the players. Maybe it's easier for them um, to, to kind of let go of some things. Brian Ferentz maligned last week with the, you know, the press box outburst. You know, I, I've said, and I think you have too, all year long, I've been really impressed with what he's done this first year. Have there been a couple of halves that there was some head scratching? Yes. But I think by and large, Iowa's players have just not executed consistently. Uh, and, and that makes an offensive coordinator not look as good. It's funny how everybody thinks that Brian Ferentz had an amazing game this past week. Um his players executed near flawlessly. I think Brandon Smith's the only drop. It's the only drop I can recall for the whole game, and that would have been a first down. But still, even though they executed, the utilization and isolation of Iowa's tight ends in this game is something I think we all thought we'd see more of this year. Uh, 
because of Brian's experience with the New England Patriots and how they utilize their tight ends. I, I just wonder if maybe Fant and Hawkinson weren't quite ready yet to to have that type of a starring role, but after seeing what they were able to do against one of the best defensive lines and defenses in the country coming into this game statistically, I think the genie's out of the bottle, as I wrote earlier this week. I don't think you can put it back in. That doesn't mean Iowa's going to go out and score 55 the rest of the year. Matter of fact, I think it'll be a, uh, an offensive struggle this coming week in Wisconsin. But I, I think the two tight ends on the field at the same time had best be a 65% play lean the rest of these two guys' career because there's not many college teams that have two tight ends of this offensive caliber, at least in the passing game, and wait till they get another year in the offseason to get stronger and be better blockers next year. Yeah, and I and you and I think Saturday, if you watch and you have watched, <laughs> I have multiple times. They they did block well as well. You know they did well in the, really well in the passing game, but the, their ability to block for for the running backs too uh, on running plays, or if one of them stayed in while Stanley because Stanley was clean the whole game, other than the one sack that you mentioned. So. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's kind of – I think you can build off of that. Whatever you do, you build off of that two tight end set. Um, and now it's in everybody's minds. They saw that Ohio State tape. They know what I was capable of doing with that tight ends, and that's going to open things up for other guys. Trying to go to the play-by-play stats here. I mean, I should have this committed to memory, and I do, but I want to get it right. I'm trying to look for Fant's touchdown. Um, is 20 – here we go. So you had Stanley complete pass to Hawkinson for 22 yards. That was on first down. That was on the left side. Um, and that, and that were, they going, were they going south at this point? Um, they were going south. Correct. It was okay. first. It was. Right. It was first and 20 because Fant okay. had Fant had just got called for holding. Yep. So I know. first and I know yep, first and 20, 22 yards to Hawkinson. Next play, they have both tight ends and they did this a lot. Both tight ends go in motion all the way across the offensive line. They went from left to right. They lined up there and and, and Hawkinson went in a, a, another post route this time from the other side and he gained 24 yards. Then Wadley rushed up the middle for 2 yards. Um, and then there was a roughing the pass play. So then they they brought Fant and Stanley in motion again left to right and Hawkinson went inside again on the post route and Fant that 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 got the attention of both the safety and the linebacker and Fant was one-on-one with number 4 their safety and he had him beat by three steps. That sort of stuff right there just makes my face split open from smiling because that is such a scheme and setup and the execution is flawless players need to be commended and brian ferentz for that sequence so that that to me was like oh dude's in the major leagues now that was incredible yeah and, they, and i think what we've seen up to that point helped build that um different things that they tried. I think, you know, given his druthers, I think 
Brian may have gone to that stuff earlier, um, but who knows? I mean, he had, an, like you talked about earlier, he's trying to get an offensive line put together, um, you know, and trust them. He's got young, you know, butlers out. The pieces of the offense weren't all there, and then you're waiting for Fan and Hawk- Hawkinson to, to develop as well as blockers and route runners. Um I really think that at this point, although I think it's going to be a struggle to score points this week at Wisconsin, I think that they've found what they need to do on offense. I wrote that in my column Saturday, too. That was kind of what people anticipated when they thought about Brian Ferentz coaching the offense before the season. And I don't know. I mean, I get I hear this a lot, and people ask me how much – how um, how how constricted is he by his dad and what – Kirk's beliefs are and he is to a degree but I you can just tell that the um that the relationship not not the personal relationship but the football philosophy relationship is just such so much more fluid than it was with Greg Davis oh yeah there's no doubt left hand right hand no question last thing before we look forward Nate Stanley was 20 of 31 for 226 yards five touchdowns no interceptions that was um, that was a quarterback that showed me that he is in command of nearly everything they want to do. We've seen multiple times this year where he's looked off his first and second option and found his third, so that was really encouraging about his development. But there was a couple of plays in this game where he looked for his first, his second, even his third. The pocket then is collapsing, which means he's already there for three three seconds, so the offensive line has been doing a great job. And there was a play that at the last second he looked to his left and he hit Akram Wadley who was his safety valve. It was in the second half. And he hit Wadley, and then right as he got hit, which Stanley still didn't go down, they can't bring that guy down. And Wadley had 10 feet of space to deal with in a one-on-one situation, and he made the guy look like a complete idiot. Uh, just zoomed right past him and got down. Maybe it was late first half. I can't recall uh, exactly. Maybe it was late in the first half. But that Nate Stanley has a great grasp now on these concepts very good control and his touchdown pass that he threw when he had the defensive lineman draped around his ankles when he was in the guy's grasp for over two seconds and he still threw a bullet I don't know how many players can make that play I don't know how many Iowa quarterbacks in the Ferentz era could make a play like that I don't think many if any can and I remain incredibly high on him he is putting up numbers at a sophomore that few Iowa quarterbacks when when this season's done he's probably going to have around 2,800 yards passing. He's on pace for 31 touchdowns, which would break the season record by four. I mean, this is this is an all-Big Ten first-team performance in some years that he's putting up in a year that JT Barrett isn't there to win the award from him. And he didn't win the job until almost the end of August. Allegedly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy that. I never will. They've got a hell of a backup in Tyler Wiggins. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and it was funny uh, um, talking to Akron. I can't remember if it was after the game or on Tuesday, but when when Stanley was going through those progressions, Akron was like, "Yep, I was just standing over waiting for him to get to me, and uh, you know, get to, get to his part of the you know his his." Because he was whatever the fourth or fifth guy on that yeah. on that play, um, but he goes, I had confidence that he'd get to me if that's what the play you know called for, and and he did, and I I think that's the thing. I think I, I wrote about it um, early in the year about Stanley's. Um, 
and he still calls himself introverted. He's just not a um, an outgoing guy. But he, but you can tell as we've interviewed him as the season's gone on, he's opening up more and more. And I think he's done that even more with his teammates. Right. And you're starting to hear those guys say that he's commanding that huddle that he's really energetic he's vocal he's getting guys hyped up in the huddle getting them going they all a few guys several guys said that saturday you know when ohio state kept coming back in that first half stanley was like that's okay we're gonna get him we're gonna you know and that i think was maybe the last piece for him right um and i think that's why the the um, competition went on as long as it mm-hmm. did because other Wiggers naturally has that. Um, and you can just tell that the kid's starting to feel comfortable in his own skin now, and, and that's going to be scary for the opposition. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. Yeah, no doubt, especially as I think the next... I think James Daniels will come back. And you've got Daniels there. You've got the bookend, you know, sophomore-to-be tight ends in Worfs and Alaric Jackson. Obviously, Welsh is gone, and he'll be a big loss. But they've got... Uh, is Reynolds... I think Is he back, too? Render and Reynolds are both back. Yeah. And Ren, Reynolds is playing now. He's working right. his way in with, with Render. So both of those guys will be back. And my guess would be Render will, will switch over to the right tackle spot occupied by Welsh. Right guard. Right guard, excuse me. Yeah, so for all intents and purposes, you returned five offensive linemen that started for you a number of times this year. And you'll have a quarterback whose ceiling is I don't even know what it is. And and you and I both talked about this a couple weeks ago. I said I think he's the best pro prospect at quarterback that Iowa's had in the Ferentz era, probably dating back to Chuck Hartley, Matt Rogers type, maybe even Chuck Long, but we'll get there. I know it's hyperbole Wednesday for me, and I'm giddy as a schoolgirl over this, but I said this stuff before this this game. Um, and, I, and I think both I think both um, Torin Young and Ivory Kelly Martin uh, are, are going to be pretty darn good looking backs. You get your fullbacks back. You lose Matt Vandenberg, but you return everyone else. And I think Iowa should be able to play offensively with two tight end sets most all the time, unless it's, you know, hell, even if it is third and 15, you're going to be hard-pressed to find two better offensive pass catchers on your team than TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. And when you can go out there and you can play two tight ends that can also block, the number of options that you have and, and, and the defense absolutely cannot guess. They cannot guess because if you guess it's going to be a pass and you've got two capable tight ends in there blocking, you're going to get pounded. So the, the, the offensive repertoire and options that Brian Ferentz is going to have next year will be out of this world. Um, should be a lot of fun. He's got um, 
Like you talked about a receiver. Easley's back. I, I think Amir Smith-Marset has a chance. He's the, I think he's that one guy that he, he may be that missing link to this offense. When you have those type of tight ends, if you can have a guy that can take the top off no of things, and he's that guy. He just needs to get a little bit more seasoning, and he can be that guy. And another kid, the Tyrone Tracy kid from Indianapolis that's coming in who plays all over the place for his high school team, he's another guy that can get deep. So, you know, and Brandon Smith, I think, has a chance. Max Cooper, I think they're building depth finally at wide receiver. Finally. but. Um, Smith Marset is that guy. I think he could be the guy that takes this offense to the next level. Yeah, it'll be. It's been seven years since they've had depth at wide receiver. But uh, anyway, <laughs> can you imagine like a two tight right set with Amir Smith Marset split out wide, and you and you slant both Hawkinson and Fant at the same time, which gives yeah. Amir Mar, uh, Amir Smith Marset one on one with a cornerback on a deep post route. Good luck. Yep. I mean, good freaking luck. Um, all right. This week during, you know, you, you've talked about it a little bit during the, the player, the player interviews and that obviously I'm giddy. I think I, I think I'm representative of a lot of Iowa fans still at this point in the week. Um, how are the players? Because, you know, the 24 hour rule is, is great and they seemingly do well with that after losses. I've oftentimes said, in my experience in life, yeah, adversity, whenever you are dealt a tough blow, it, it definitely can reveal character, the old adage goes, no question about it. I've always felt you can judge, it, it can be harder to handle success, or just as hard to handle success as it is to handle adversity, because adversity, you do one of two things, you either fight as hard as you can or you quit, and quitting is rarely an option. And if it is an option, you're a quitter, and you're just that—that's a whole other problem. But when you win, or you have success, or you get a great job, or you do this, or you do that, not everybody knows how to deal with that. And is, do you think that's a concern from talking to these guys this week? I don't. But then again, we get a lot of the veteran players that right. know how to handle this, that have been through this before. Um, and there are a lot of young guys, obviously, that we talked about that are contributing. Um, that have to be, but that's part of being, you know, juniors and seniors and being able to lead guys. Um, but the good thing is, after that win against Michigan last year, they really didn't lose a step. They won that other ugly game at Illinois where Illinois was just inept and, and couldn't do anything offensively. And then they destroyed Nebraska. So they handled it well last year that gives me some confidence that they will handle it well this year in addition i think their confidence has got to be sky high right now and wisconsin's playing with a lot of pressure they're um they're nine and oh at this point and they can't afford to lose a game or they're out of it so I don't know. I wrestled with this one when I was doing my preview today on which way to go in this game. And I really can see this game going either way. I think the third, 12 and a half, 13 points, whatever it is, is um, really out of whack for me. I don't understand where that comes from, but those guys make a lot of money in Las Vegas coming up with these lines. Um, but it's going to be a grinded out fourth four quarter game. That's that. I really think it's going to be a, a defensive battle. I'd be shocked if this game gets into the thirties. I would agree. And the last time I looked at weather and, and I'll look up the weather here uh, in the next I did it this afternoon. It looks like it's getting better. It looks like 
it's not as bad because I have to shoot photos, so I have a personal stake in this. Twenty <laughs> percent um, chance uh, Weather Underground has. Um, it looks like uh, high of thirty-six, cloudy skies, winds south ten to fifteen. So that's Saturday during the day, and then precipitation kind of the chances increase as the day goes on, but probably wouldn't be until the second half, at least at this point. And it's it doesn't look like like torrential rains; it'll be more of uh, um, you know intermittent stuff. So hopefully that doesn't factor in. Yeah, yesterday or Tuesday, they were showing ice pellets early for the day. But one thing I don't understand, Rob, is 36 degrees, 34 degrees with the winds out of the south. I'm not really, I don't, you know, meteorologically, I don't, I don't know how that happens this time That's of year. I, I, I definitely, uh, that caused me to raise my eyebrow earlier today because I think when I looked earlier today, the winds were out of the southeast. Now they're out of the south that I look at it. Yeah, so. I, I don't get that. But you know what? These these type of sites are not necessarily where you go to for it. I, I have a lot of meteorologist friends, and, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm as much a weather geek as I am geeking out on this Ohio State game. Well, that's good to hear, and I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be be a game under the 20s I, I think first one to 20 wins if it even gets there which would be much like most Iowa Wisconsin games and I also agree with you in that all of the pressure is on Wisconsin I think from a coaching staff perspective now I don't you know if the coaches are all in a room talking or if Kirk privately is talking to a couple of guys or he's talking to Brian I think they put some hay in the barn with that win against Ohio State at least from the the goodwill account I think if they lose this weekend at Wisconsin it's a close game um, the only way that people are going to be irritated by that is if they lose without firing their bullets and that is just trying to run Akron Wadley inside again without doing anything to free him up that would probably rankle some people but the weather may have something to do with that I, I think Iowa can just go out there uh, and throw caution to the wind again and be as aggressive as the as the elements uh, allow them to be and take some chances because if they take some chances and lose and go down with their guns blazing I don't think anybody's going to rip them for that and then the next two games they've still got a chance to go 8-4 and four, which is crazy thinking how this season has ebbed and flowed and all of the pressure is on Wisconsin. Wisconsin knows they can't afford anything and yeah they're probably playing with a little chip on their shoulder. Everyone's saying they haven't done anything this year. They haven't played anybody this year. The reason why they're saying that is because they really haven't and they haven't looked good against some of the the Big Ten's lesser teams and they haven't really strung together a complete 60 minute game this season and I think that'll be hard this weekend when they're playing the best defense that they've played all season long. So I I think it's going to be a tremendous traditional tussle a close game and i've not yet decided who i'm picking so that's not really a cop-out it's the truth i would definitely take the points that's the one record no doubt yeah and the under is 46 the last i saw i would take the points in the under (laughs) um and i and i know phil parker likes to play that bend but don't break and and doesn't blitz a whole lot and you know, is pretty likes the base defense. I really think it would benefit Iowa to maybe use a you know give Wisconsin a little bit of the medicine that Iowa got earlier this year mm-hmm. and and load up against Taylor and try to take him away Agreed. because I don't I don't have confidence that Hornerbrook can beat Iowa. I, he's thrown nine picks this year. Um, 
I I think to, for me at least, and I'm obviously not in the room and not watching the film that Phil Parker is, but I, I think if they can take if they can slow Wisconsin's running game, which has just been outstanding, and Taylor's been outstanding, um, and put put some pressure on Hornerbrook to beat them, I think that's the way to go. No doubt, he is mistake prone, uh, and I think he's got a good psyche in that he flushes it and moves on. But I agree. I mean, Troy Fumagalli is a very good player, and he's tied for the team lead at Wisconsin with 30 receptions. But the guy that he's tied with, and I forgot the guy's last name. Um, Cephas. Cephas, yeah. Bo Cephas. That's not his name, but that's what I think <laughs> of. Uh, he's out. He's out for this game. And he's their leader in touchdown receptions, I think, with six. Fumagalli's got two. Uh, and, and, and Cephas has a much higher yards per catch average. The guy that's replacing him, I think, is either a true sophomore or redshirt sophomore. And if he was better than Cephas, he'd be the starter. I, I would absolutely bring run blitzes and just try to make them play left-handed. No question about it. That's that's exactly what I'd, I'd like to see Phil do. We'll see. First quarter, I don't know that they do much of that. They usually like to settle in and feel out. Um, basketball news, uh, Nick Bear out three to four weeks with uh, uh, was a broken bone in his non-shooting hand, something like that, or a finger. And I would say that that stinks. You don't want to see that. It sounds like he's going to be able to come back and make a complete recovery and still be a contributor for the majority of the Big Ten season. He might miss the Big Ten opener or the for the first game or the first two games uh, for the Big Ten or in December. I can't remember if it's one or two. Is it two? Two, yeah. They play Penn State at home, I believe, and then at, at Indiana. Yeah, at Indiana. That you, you want him for that. But maybe, maybe the silver lining is – Jack Nungy's going to play a lot more minutes than he would have otherwise. Yeah, I would agree. And if you're going to lose Nicholas, now's the time when they're playing like uh, Chicago. Yeah, yeah, Iowa City West High and Regina early in the season. Um, and like you said, it'll get some of those younger front court players some more minutes. I think Wagner slides in. Although, when talking to Fran after the last exhibition game where he started Wagner and brought Bear off the bench, I think he kind of was leaning that way anyway of starting Ahmad. Um, Ahmad won't play big minutes, but he has that kind of energy early in the game and mm-hmm. that leadership. If you look at the uh, the team poster this year, he is the one in the front of the team poster. He's he's just one. He's a glue guy, so to speak to use a cliche term and uh i think it'll be good to have him as the starter and let jack kind of see what's going on evaluate what's going on out on the court and then bring him in and let him let him go and um it gets underway friday night against a really bad chicago state team Indeed. Anything else uh, that's percolating out there that we should talk about? Signing day today for basketball. Oh, Joe Camp yeah. is now officially a Hawkeye, as is uh, C.J. Frederick from Kentucky. So they landed a couple of guards that didn't take them long to fill uh, um, Williams. Williams' scholarship. And uh, so – They'll have some. They get. They brought in two big guys this year, and now they'll bring in two wings next year. And they, they list Wieskamp at six seven now. He's must 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 still be growing. Yeah, I mean, he's been committed to Iowa for a couple of years. Iowa was able to hold off, you know, suitors. I mean, the, he's he's at present the highest rated recruit that Iowa's had in the Rivals.com era, which I think goes back to 02. Rated higher than Tyler Smith, probably. He's 40, right? Yeah, he's forty, 
And I can't remember, you know, Jared Reiner was before, I think, the Rivals era, or, yeah, he would have been before the Rivals era. Glenn Worley was also a very highly highly rated recruit. I don't remember what Ricky Davis's numbers were, but but Wieskamp, I think, has a chance to to be Iowa's first um, McDonald's All-American type level player since... Chris Kingsbury or Kenyon Murray, uh, somewhere along those lines. He is a player that I think would make a huge difference on this year's team right now without even playing his senior season. Yeah, and he'll be the, a, a player of that level for until next year when Patrick McCaffrey comes in and he's rated higher. Uh, but Exactly. Different types of players. This is a really good stretch for in-state players. Obviously, in twenty, in two thousand nineteen, you also have Carton that they hope to get, and then Xavier Foster in that twenty class uh, from Oskaloosa. But um, yeah, I I've seen Joe play. I'm, I'm I already was going through the schedule today. I'm I'm hope, hope, hoping to get out to see him uh, against Carton when Bettendorf plays Muscatine at least once this year um, to get another look at, at Joe and to get my first look in person at, at Carton. Um, but he just is. He's just a really good basketball player. I know that's kind of a kind of a broad statement, but he he does everything well. Um, he rebounds, shoot from the outside. He's got a nice game near the basket, a nice mid-range game. It's a pretty good defensive player. He's long, um, has to get stronger. That's the obvious thing when kids are coming out of high school and going to college. But the skill set is already there, and. Uh, He's going to do well because Fran, I think, can play him at that two or the three spot, and uh, he'll be comfortable at either one. Yeah, no doubt. Any concerns about Isaiah Moss's injury? Do you think it's worse than they're saying or don't know? Um, I was a little concerned because Fran said it's been it's been stubborn, um, but we'll get a better idea deal idea tomorrow being Thursday the day before the opener when we get um, Fran and, and the players for a press conference but um, I think they, they probably are, are taking it easy on him and I don't think they'll push it they'll give it time to heal so um, I, I don't think it's something that that um, it's going to be a concern long term um, it may be short term but again as we talked about I don't think they're playing any giants early in the season yeah they, he could miss this weekend and, and they should be just fine Hey, C.J. Frederick, I don't, what do you know about him? I mean, I, the, the film on him that I found, the video rather, just, you know, seems old. There's not much out there. What have you heard about him? I mean, is he just another guy in the mode of the, you know, the specialty wing shooter they bring in that has that little, you know, 10 to 14-minute role on the team? What, what have you heard? Um, I, I think he has. That's probably the floor for him, John. And I think he has maybe a little bit more of a ceiling than somebody like Brady Ellingson, but similar to that, just in that he, you know, what he's, you know, he's going to be able to hit shots, um, come off screens, do things like that. Um, but he's taller. He's six four, six five in that range. Uh, you know, he's got two or three inches on Brady. Um, so I, I think he has a little bit more potential because of that. Um, he's longer, um, which will allow him to guard uh, wings 
um, you know, and, and some tall, taller point guards. Even he's 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 got a decent amount of athleticism. Uh, his brother, or his uncle Joe Frederick, played at Notre Dame uh, when Fran was there, and that's the family connection. Um, but I, I like his potential. He's another guy that's really thin still and have to fill out a little bit. Potential redshirt possibly next year uh, when you bring him in. Uh, we'll see how you know how how that backcourt rotation right. goes. Um, yeah, I, I think he's got. I think he's got a, a a nice floor with a ceiling that is intriguing. That's kind of how I would explain it. I mean, Josh Oglesby was six five. Um, yeah, you know, in his freshman year, wound up being the most productive year um, of his career, so as far as points wise. And Fran always talked about how amazing of a shooter he was. So I don't know, and, and, and that, that's not fair. I've never seen him play. I'm just saying that you know you mentioned Ellingson and Oglesby as those kind of guys, and um, Oglesby was big too. Not a bad defender actually. So. No, and the kid handles the ball well. I mean, I don't think he's – I think he has an ability to create his own shot, although, he, you know, he can just, you know, come off screens and hit a stationary shot. I think he's got some potential in his game to be a little bit more um, as he develops. I think he's still pretty raw. All right, that will do it. And Dace and I will be back tomorrow night or on Friday probably when you will consume our predictions podcast. And I'll be back after the game on Saturday with the instant reaction. Then we'll do it all again next week. For Rob, I'm John. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Exile Brewing Company and Heartland Flagpoles and Flags as well for their continued support of the HN Podcast.